The following program is brought to you by Podcast One Sportsnet. Don't forget to download our new Podcast One app. Welcome to RJ Bell's Dream Preview. Weekly winners from his Wise Guy Roundtable. Broadcasting from the pregame.com studios in Las Vegas. Here is RJ Bell. That's right. It's the NBA All-Star Break Extravaganza. It's true. What a jam-packed show with my Wise Guy Roundtable to my left. All the college knowledge. He's won some bets. He's feeling good. Brad Powers to my right, two-time Super Contest champion. Off a mental health day, should be rested. Steve Fezzik, I'm R.J. Bell. Guys, we got NFL talk. Le'Veon Bell, Gurley, Brown. We got NBA talk, both off the court, on the court. We've got AAF talk, and we've done the data analysis Home teams, potential value. Unders, potential value. We'll explain the math. Also, Machado signs. Some interesting thoughts on that. College basketball, we've got two best bets from Dave Esler. Future title, long shot best bets. A best bet from Brad Powers, all the college knowledge in college basketball. Fez, what's your best bet this week? Alliance of American Football. Oh, he's staying in the AAF. Guys, it is jam-packed. So let's get straight to it. Showtime! Woo! Okay. Gurley. We were preaching. We were preaching here. We were preaching on Radio Row in Atlanta, Fox Sports Radio, straight out of Vegas, the show. And this is what we said. Todd Gurley, one of the five most valuable non-quarterbacks in the NFL from a Vegas perspective. Todd Gurley, one of the five highest paid non-quarterbacks in the NFL. And he hardly played in the NFC Championship round. Against the Saints, four carries. The analogy in my mind would have been if LeBron James... In the conference finals, game seven would have played eight minutes. Fez, does that feel like a fair analogy? I think so. I think I would have said him taking four shots because Gurley was on the field almost half the time. He just didn't wind up getting any carries. Yeah, but if it's not like there's nine running backs. Fair if enough. anything, if he's on the field and he's not carrying the ball, it's probably worse than not being on the field at all. Good point. So, obviously, it was extreme. And you might say, ah, injury makes sense, right? Well, the injury report for the NFC Championship game, as we talked about, did not have Todd Gurley on it. Nowhere. Not even probable, which means almost for sure they're going to play. Then it's Super Bowl week. Everyone's wondering. We're talking about it Vegas style. The Vegas marketplace said, oh, we've got to discount him 35%, 40% yards Rushing, the average was about 98 for Gurley throughout the season before he got hurt, before his troubles. The over-under was what, Fez, in the low 60s, 62. right? 62. So the market's saying big discount. 
But for whatever reason, no one was wondering, wait, he's being discounted by Vegas by 30, 40%. He hardly participated or he hardly contributed in the game before. He's one of the five best non-quarterbacks. What the heck is going on? McVay comes out. Hey, I overlooked Gurley. The boy genius somehow overlooked his $15 million man in the conference title game. Wait a minute. Gurley's still with us, you're saying? Hmm. Some of us like, boy, I forgot that In-N-Out burger was up there on <laughs> Flamingo. You know, it's like, yeah, okay. <laughs> I mean, he might not be cutting the checks, but still. Now, we thought ludicrous. Today, taping on Wednesday at the pregame.com studios, Wednesday evening, New York Post puts it out. A write-up, C.J. Anderson, formerly recently from the couch, his, the couch in his home, was on FS1, one of the shows, Undisputed, I think. And he, he had the following quote. Quote, this is verbatim, Gurley was really more hurt than we thought. Now let's think about the tenses there. I know a lot of people shun academia. Oh, what a waste in high school. I had to learn algebra. I had to learn. Well, you know, tenses in grammar probably are somewhat meaningful sometimes. <laughs> I love you. I loved you. You know, it's a different thing. Right, Brad? Yeah. So... <laughs> So this says Gurley was, so back then, really more hurt than we thought, thought being back then. So what he's saying, C.J. Anderson, he was on a couch, I think, at this point during the interview, but from the couch, he's saying at the time, we didn't think he was hurt. In fact, if you read into the verbatim quotes even deeper, he's saying even more hurt than Gurley thought. So somehow there's some magical limitation injury that Gurley didn't know about, the trainers didn't know about, C.J. Anderson didn't know about. But somehow now we know that he was more hurt than thought. Now the way that the Post ran the article was, oh, McVeigh was kind of deceptive in the press conference because after he said he was fine. No, that makes sense. If anything, what Anderson's saying backs that up. They're saying he didn't know before the game. And when I say he, I mean anybody. But let's say Gurley would probably know himself the best. Gurley didn't know. The trainers didn't know. No one knew. But now somehow, so in the press conference, it makes sense that McVeigh would say, yeah, he's fine. But now, from that time till this interview, some information has come out. Well, not really come out, has become known to C.J. Anderson. What is that information? Isn't that the story? The story isn't, oh, see, we knew he was hurt. No, we're saying no one knew. How could we know? How could the New York Post know if Gurley himself didn't know, supposedly? So this is either just more, hey, the cover-up is worse than the crime, and, boy, the more you talk. You know, I watched a lot of NYPD Blue in the day. When Sipowitz asked you a question, you didn't want to answer. The more you talked, the more trouble you were going to get into. Seems like the more talking these Rams are doing, the, the less 
we're learning, but the more absurd the whole equation feels. Thoughts? I'm thinking about a Columbo episode, any Columbo episode, and just don't answer any questions because it just winds up being more and more incriminating, right? You know, I got, you know, luckily I've never, you know, this is pretty amazing. I mean, I, you know, I literally would make the cases false and amazing. I've never had a misdemeanor, never had a drunken disorderly, you know, whatever the typical, never had littering, jaywalking, literally no felonies, obviously. And I've had two speeding tickets in my life. So you would think, and let's just say I've been lucky. So, but the fact of the matter is I've always planned on if I ever had to talk to authorities to say, you know, I promised my mom on her deathbed, even though she's still alive, hopefully she will be at the time, that I wouldn't talk to the police because she says sometimes her her boy might get in trouble. So yeah, I hope they don't blame me too much for that. But that is pretty good advice, right? Wait for the lawyer. You can always tell on the police shows when the guy wants the lawyer how mad Sipowitz is. He's like, no, he doesn't want that lawyer in the room. You know, I loved NYPD Blue, but I've never, I mean, like literally one of the top 10 shows of all time, but literally no, none of the cases ever went to trial. Seemingly, <laughs> they always solved the case in the room. I guess that's what Law and Order did later was come in and say, well, you know, there is that other side of it. Either way, what are we seeing here? Uh, I mean, Fez, if I asked you, understanding you have no special insight, what is going on? What would you say? It's difficult, RJ. It's complex. The fact that he got so few carries in that NFC title game after having played the week before, clearly there's something about his knee that was compromised having played back-to-back weeks and only getting... So, so saying that means you're saying the Rams are, were lying on the injury report. Yes. I agree with that. Okay. And again, we've said this a few times. It bears repeating, and we'll say it succinctly so it doesn't get boring. There is a fiduciary responsibility for these teams to be honest because there's a million and billion dollar betting marketplace. And just like Enron, just like any uh, stock on an exchange needs to be forthcoming with their earnings. I mean, look at the trouble Elon Musk got into just by saying, and again, I won't say just because I can't judge if it was legitimate trouble or not. But he said some stuff like, hey, maybe I'll take the company private. And, hey, maybe we got financing. And it was a huge deal. Now, I get it. There's competition amongst these teams. So deception is a good thing. But something the NFL did a great job of, and let's give the NFL credit for this, is decades ago, decades and decades ago, they said, you've got to tell the injuries honestly, teams, because then there's no inside information. He had to know everything, this guy. He'd find out the kind of inside stuff nobody else knew, and that's what he put his money on. But if everybody knows the injuries, the Billy Walters allegedly of the world aren't paying allegedly $15,000 allegedly to a trainer to allegedly tell him something. Brad, you follow college football which doesn't have, correct me if I'm wrong, each conference has their own kind of guidelines with injuries, right? But it's not fully obligatory. No, I mean, really, 
the, the talk was recently that conferences would go to an injury report. No, no one really has anything. It's up to the discretion of the individual school and the head coach. There is no standardized injury report in college. And how many times, open question to the Wise Guy Roundtable, have we seen that a quarterback got banged up a little bit in college, but hey, everything seems fine. They're lane seven. At one o'clock in the afternoon, it crashes to three and a half. And at four o'clock in the afternoon, Hours later, it's announced, oh, the quarterback's out. Happens multiple times in a season. Happened in the bowl season with Will Greer deciding to go. The line crashed three, four points. We didn't hear anything. And then the day after it's announced, Will Greer's going to sit out the bowl game. Someone knows someone gets down big, and then the news breaks. So what we know is the college game currently is an example of the extreme of not requiring disclosure. The NFL is supposed to be the paradigm, the ideal of requiring disclosure. Well, the Rams, something is fishy. And the fact it's not being discussed, the fact that there's not accountability here, I find it to be a real problem. And I get it. If you're the NFL, why? It's like this in any organization. When a, it's like this in a marriage, it's like this in a business partnership. There's some things that if they were just by themselves, to quote the Latin from the little bit of Latin I learned in finance school, citrus paribus, in a vacuum, nothing else mattering, you'd rather not deal with this if you're the NFL. But there's broader macro considerations feel the pain now, deal with this, find the Rams $20 million, like a real number, $10 million, and say, guys, it's over. If you miss, we will call you up in a court, because as I've said, and I'll make this prediction, and I'll make it strongly. Do you know how some people get premonitions? I'm one of them. Well, one of my premonitions is that within three years, we're going to have a class action lawsuit in which someone who bet Gurley under or bet the Ram or bet Gurley over or bet the Rams is going to say, you told me he was healthy. He wasn't. You're going to say, well, how do you prove it, RJ? Well, it's simple. You go in a quarter law, put your hand on the Bible and ask Gurley, what discussions were there about your health? Now, you're either going to perjure yourself or you're going to tell the truth. This would not be hard to find out. I get why the NFL doesn't want to do it, but if they did it now, it's going to nip it in the bud. If not, the potential controversies get bigger and bigger. Especially with more states becoming more legalized when it's just one state that, uh, you know, stayed out west in Nevada, a little bit different story than, you know, a couple years from now when we have 20 or 25 states. No, I agree. And it's not just the number of states, but what what does that lead to, which is the the amount of money being bet? This is a marketplace that's getting bigger and bigger and bigger. The city he invented was Las Vegas. It's not just Vegas anymore, baby. All right, next topic. Let's talk about another running back, Le'Veon Bell. 
One of our reoccurring themes this week on Straight Out of Vegas, by the way, guys, 6 o'clock Eastern, Fox Sports Radio, 200 stations across the country, iHeartRadio app. Also, sometimes on Sirius XM83, sometimes they have a NASCAR show on, and then we're in the 200s. Every day, though, on Sirius XM and, uh, you know, Sirius and XM, which is kind of separate units, I think, still for some people. Also, the podcast. Just search RJ Bell. You'll see Straight Out of Vegas. You'll see the Dream Preview. The Straight Out of Vegas, 40 minutes because it's only an hour show. We rip out the commercials, jammed, packed info. What have we been talking about? One of our reoccurring themes has been in the glory days, winning is what mattered. And to this day, Bill Belichick, Brady, it's winning. No days off. We're not talking about you, Fez. This is Belichick. No days off. You rested up? You feel good? When does he have time to get his nails done? (laughs) (laughs) Mark that time, please, Maggie. We're building quite the library. Oh, we are. I don't even need you at some point. (laughs) (laughs) See, we could have Jackie the Jug Man here. We don't even need him here, right? Okay. So the fact is, you've got the old school. And then what happened after that? Fantasy, I think, drove a lot of numbers matter. Oh, this team didn't win, but the title or even make the playoffs, but oh, 4,000 yards this and 330 uh, batting average that. Okay. And now it's like the numbers that matter aren't even the numbers on the field. It's the Instagram follows and such are more important. And if you look at Le'Veon Bell, here's the question I pose, and I'm going to pose it to the roundtable. Scenario A is exactly what's happened. However you want to characterize his shenanigans, in my opinion, it's happened. That's A, reality. B is he would have been old school Rocky Blyer style. He would have put his head down, played hard, played, you know, did his best, and now he's up for a contract. You know, he's not going to get tagged. In which scenario, reality or in the Rocky Blyer try as hard as he can scenario, how would you project how much money Le'Veon Bell would make in this next contract? I project in the current reality he's going to make more than what he would have in you know past glory years, Rocky Blyer style. Reality, fresh legs, twenty-seven year old back. It's nice that he took the year off. Well, I think we're getting in a different a different topic there, and, and and I think that's a fair topic because if you actually look at the numbers, and and it's interesting, Mackie did a little research for us on this, which was if you look at Gurley's carries. And you look at Le'Veon's carries. Now, Gurley's three years younger, so Le'Veon's 20, 27 against 24, but the carries are like within 150. It's like 1,200 against like 1050 or so. I don't have the numbers right in front of me. 
But, Faz, I think there's two ways to look at that. One way is that, yeah, if you take a, if you have a bunch of carries, you age even more. But the other way to look at it is he's 27 moving to 28. So now even if you sign a three-year deal, you're going to start catching him at an age that's problematic. So I think Brad's point is it's not so much, oh, he's – you know, it's like buying a Nintendo 64 or whatever that's still in its package versus <laughs> one that was all beat up because I was beating someone and they threw the controller against the wall. <laughs> There's some of that, but I think what we're more saying is it's about brand. People are buying awareness or teams are buying awareness or buying brand. Hey, here's Le'Veon Bell. Everyone's heard of him. Oh, here once he really gets unleashed, look out. Whereas the guy that just puts his head down, oh, he's boring. He's not worth as much. I think there's something to be said for that. Let's look at David. Something to be said as in, not that you agree with it, but that's there's some truth to it. Yes, look at David Johnson at Arizona. He put his head down and played all year long for a bad team, and no one really even noticed. I think he is completely off the radar after having played for a year. Yeah, but here, there's an example of a guy that missed the whole season. Now, how would you characterize his quality of play, Johnson, for Arizona last year? I think it was below what was expected, but you could blame a lot of it for just how bad Arizona really was. Especially on the O-line, I think. Yep. So what we're seeing here is brand is what matters. So what conversations have we had so far? Gurley about not really playing. Bell about not really playing. Segue into (laughs) Antonio Brown. So, Brad, we've got the odds. This is as of uh, Wednesday, again, that we're taping. Where is Brown headed? Right now, the favorite to get Antonio Brown in 2019, the 49ers, plus 250. Colts next in line at 3-1, to one, followed by the Bills, 4-1. to one. Arizona, 5-1. to one, And the Steelers still listed at 5-1. to one. And Colin Coward today on his show was making a case for the Packers to pick up Antonio Brown they're kind of more of a long shot on this list. The Packers, 12-1. to 1. This is where I go. I go to Vegas. Via the Coward Global Satellite Network, R.J. Bell, pregame.com. Well, I tell you, I think Colin makes an interesting point. And this is a debate we can have. We always say, oh, when there's nothing to talk about, there's always something to talk about. But this is one that's put in our back pocket. Brad, what team are you the biggest fan of? NFL or anything. anything. Notre Dame football. football. Boy, that's a love-hate, though. Oh, yeah. That's a love-hate. Yeah, very much so. (laughs) Fez? Bengals. Okay. If you had the following two choices, one is you make the playoffs every year the next 10 years, and for Notre Dame, let's say, makes a big six bowl game. So sometimes it's going to be the playoffs, sometimes a big six. So like that top tier, that top 15% or however you want to say, playoffs in the NFL, big bowl game. Every year but win zero national titles. 10 out of 10, zero national titles. Or you only make that top tier once, but you win the Super Bowl, you win the national title. What do you take, Brad? National title. I'm in the minority here. I'll take all the playoff bids. Well, with the Bengals, you take any win, I guess. Really. <laughs> Fair enough. 
I think that most fans, Mackie, who's your favorite team? Minnesota Vikings. Oh my God, really? That's right. <laughs> what what the heck led to that? My father was from Minnesota, so I grew up watching them. Like the Purple People. Well, what year? But you weren't even around for the Purple People. What were they no. called? The Purple People Eaters, that's right? Seventies. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> My first years getting involved was Randy Moss's rookie year. Chris oh. Carter was very good. Oh, wait a minute. So the missed field yeah. goal from Absolutely. Gary Anderson. That's like my first Vikings memory. Ah. <laughs> Hadn't missed all year long. Yeah. So what would you rather have? Hundred percent the Super Bowl. Yeah, I think most people. Yep. So. But that one of the things we keep talking about is you can't decide how to play a game unless you know the rules. You know, it's like there's these poker games, low uh, spade in the hole or high spade in the hole wins. Well, if you got the ace of spades in the hole, you're betting, 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 right? You're, you're splitting the pot. You're free rolling for half the pot and or for the second half the pot, right? You've got half. But if you didn't know that rule, you're going to play very differently. That's why people, when they start playing, not that I'm any expert at Omaha, but Omaha is such a different game than Hold'em. Oh, did you ever play Omaha? Omaha seems like it'd be your game, Fez. You know, I, I've heard. You know heard... what would probably be your game would be triple low ball, two to seven triple draw, I'm oh, thinking, low I, ball. I just got a buddy that's a pro <laughs> poker player, Jared, and he says, you know, these low games with these split pots, he's like, oh, just have you got to be able to win the low or you have no business being in the in the pot. But see, those are the games. Usually the guys, you know, this is another great conversation, which is how much luck is in a poker game. Because, for example, if me and Phil Ivey were playing and literally the ante was 10% or, or let's say the blinds were 30% of our stacks, me and Phil Ivey are pretty much a coin flip. Oh, absolutely. Because there's no decision to make. The only decision is someone shoves and you've got the 6-8. Do you call? So the imperfect play, how much is it penalized? That's a question in poker. And to me, the split pot games, which I'm not an expert at any of them, but boy, if you're the old timers that, 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 that like the nuts... There was a guy, I think I've told about this guy one time, but he was a trip. I mean, this was the uh, 93, 94, 95. So I, I came to Vegas in 98, graduated from the Ohio State University in 92. And I had some floater years. I was flipping some houses. But I'm talking about, like, buying a house for 22000 and selling it for thirty five. This was old school stuff here, baby. And... But I was betting and, and doing quite well in the 90s. But I would play cards once a week. And uh, once a month, it was a no-limit game. And once a week, uh, or, or, or the other weeks, it was a 4-8 uh, limit. So not even that high mm-hmm. of a limit. But I was probably winning 2000 a month because th- those no-limit days were tough days for those guys. Because I was reading the Mason Malmuth books and the Skolansky books, and no one at the time you know, back there were – you know, on top of any of that. So there was a guy named Skeeter. And Skeeter was one of these dudes that, I mean, he had, you know how you're kind of young. I mean, I'm in my early 20s at the time. You don't know how old people are. Like someone's 40, you think they're agent. Like there's a coach of mine, I think back how old he was, and he was like 27. 
And I thought he was like ancient. You know, I was 15. <laughs> but but the fact of the matter is, well, he was dating that high school girl, so I, I guess. But the <laughs> true story is the fact of the matter is Skeeter was one of those dudes that didn't look like he showered every day, didn't look like he had enough money to go to the dentist, but he always wore a jacket, like a like a sports coat. There was that generation that even the bums wore a sports coat. You were around that, I'm sure, Faz, right? Yeah, there was an old guy who used to hang out the Stardust and the Riviera, and he looked like he was literally homeless, and he would be betting sports. He always had on the same brown pair of pants, and he always wore a blazer, would walk back and, and forth from the Riviera to the Stardust to bet on his sports. Yeah, and it would be the, like the uh, cuffs would be ruffled or, or, or torn up, but it was like that was their uniform of that generation. So Skeeter was, it was dealer's choice, right? And I would play always low ball draw, one one um, draw. So it was DL five. It was ace to five though. So those uh, you know straights were fine, flushes were fine, ace to five, low ball draw, and we we made it ten and twenty because there was only two bets, so there was you know a little more action. But what ha- what happened is it, it's the biggest dealer advantage game you could ever mm-hmm. imagine, right? So what would happen is you could know who knew how to play. If you are dealing and you deal seven-card stud, there's zero dealer's advantage, right? Hold them back then wasn't even a game in the 90s that anyone was playing. But, like, of, of, of the games... Uh, any draw game, but, but like jacks are better. People didn't really like that as much. So for me, I was getting a game that people didn't know how to play. And, and I actually, Malmuth had a book on low ball draw, which I read. So I had my road game as they called it. And I had a huge dealer advantage, huge. Cause if you got a nine and, and, and there's one guy in and he draws your pat, right? And if he doesn't draw, you draw. I mean, there's so, I mean, again, it's just one example, but there's so many advantages. So Skeeter used to play five card stud. I mean, literally, like, like the Cincinnati kid, five card stud. And I mean, you want to talk about a boring game, but for him, it was like he wanted that one hand out of 20 or whatever. that He'd have a king up and a king in the hole, and you were chasing. And whenever that fifth card would come out, he would always say, hold that line, hold that line. That was his, It was like he knew he was ahead. If he was in the hand on fifth. Hold, hold. No, no, no. It was hold that line. Hold that line. Guys <laughs> is making up his own saying. <laughs> that might have been another skeeter, you know. So the thing is, guys like that love split pot, pot games because they know they can get in a certain spot where they're almost nutted for one half the pot, where other people are just drawing on on highs, drawing on lows. So there you go. That's it for the pod, guys. We'll talk. <laughs> <laughs> We'll be, you know, all that talk. Oh, okay. So we talked about Brown. That's a pretty good story, though, wasn't Brown? Yeah. So obviously, all that story was about knowing the rules of the game. And to me, if the Packers are playing for another Super Bowl with Aaron Rodgers, 
I think Carlin's exactly right. Do what you got to do. And if you're playing to make a bunch of playoffs, then you play differently. And to me, I want the championships. And I don't know financially how it works out because in theory these NFL teams are selling out the stadiums anyway. So I don't really know how if a team's like how much less money do the Browns make, you know, than the Steelers, than the Cowboys. I you know, I know there's all kind of concession deals and all who owns the stadium, but how much does winning and losing in a given year really affect the bottom line of a team? I bet it's a lot less than we think. So to me, I think that Brown, one, is still an elite player. And we did some research, pregame.com stats and information. Wink, wink. We had, (laughs) we looked at some comparables. And Brad, I thought you had a great comparable for, for Brown. And it was Marvin Harrison. And then I think, uh, Faz, you had Steve Smith that I thought was a good comparable. Yes. So entering this season, Brown is going to be in his 31st year and calendar year. And here's how these players did 31, 32, 33, 34. Harrison, just do yardage, 1,200 yards when he was 31, 1,100 when he was 32, 1,100 when he was 33, 1,300 when he was 34. So, wow, really good. Steve Smith, when he was 31, had a bad year, 550, but then 32, 1,400, 33, 1,200. So it feels like Brown, again, comps are comps. They're not perfect. But it feels like Brown has three, four good years left. Does anyone think that that's a, a flawed analysis? No. My Based own, on the comparables? Based on the comparables, I think it's a good analysis. My only concern is I know that Brown over a three-year period was averaging like 1,750 yards. The last couple years, like 1,350 yards. So really, really good, but it has come down from his absolute Yeah, peak. come down from one of the best three receivers in the history of the game. Yes. Right? To one of the three best receivers today, Correct. perhaps. The question is, what is the personality trait? You look at Kawhi Leonard, another person that the conversation was, is he going to play or not last year? You would think Pop, uh, especially when Duncan was there, that there was no problem when Duncan was there. You would think the idea would be that, oh, the San Antonio can handle someone who might have some personality defects or uh let's say complexities, however you want to say it, but San Antonio didn't. Not that we're all reading the beat writers from Toronto, but from what I'm hearing, it's like 50-50, he resigns there. So it seems like he's found a place that at least he's somewhat happy. Is that what you guys have heard? So I think you really need a psychologist, and I'm not joking. Like, if I were a team owner, it'd be like I would want to do like some deep personality tests and say, who is, you know, there's all these different, uh, what's it called? And, and I'm wrong on this, something like the Myers Briggs or something like that, where it puts you in quadrants of, yeah. it's this kind of person, it's that kind of person. What kind of person is Brown? Because if you would have asked me two years ago, I would have said, hardest working guy on the Steelers, 
wants to win as much as anybody. I, I would have said that. And now it seems like, and maybe it's true. I've said this once, and I know now with, uh, I don't know how this domestic incident is going to pan out. I don't know how much we want to be critical of 100 miles an hour in a car. Obviously, he's risking other people's lives. Just as obviously, we've probably all done something similar, or almost all of us, even Fez. What's the fastest you've ever gone in a car, Fez? 101 through Baker, coming into Baker in my MR2. Well, he had that answer. Yeah, like, I mean, that was like we planned it. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> so, and also Big Ben comes with his own baggage, right, out off the field. The story seems to be that Big Ben is a prima donna and that it was more or less like he was getting, and then you start hearing this ownership mentality or I think it was a phrase that seemed to kind of echo back to some potentially really politically combustible stuff. You got to wonder, did the Steelers keep the wrong guy? And again, I don't know enough to know. But to me, how many good years does Big Ben have left? And if Brown, and sometimes people will be pushed where they're right, you're wrong, or the let's say the entity is wrong. And then the second time, the person is right, the entity is wrong. And finally, the person just blows up. And then he starts being wrong, and you start saying, see, that's the problem. But it was the first two things that led him to that. I'm not so sure that Brown in the right spot. I mean, how much could he? Now, again, he's, he's gotten very rich and very famous over these years since he was a six-round draft choice. Brad, I mean, what's your sense? Like, whose know. fault is this? Tomlin? I mean, no. I As far as comparing Roethlisberger to Brown, I, I still think it's more Brown. I, I mean, personality-wise, maybe the money did change him a little bit. He's ha- he get, Remember, people forget, he got the money, the, uh, oh, I'm having the meta block, the super fast receiver that's been all over the place now that he was drafted with. Um he was with you know he was on the Steelers, but but um, I should know that name. Bryant, no, that it was before him. Wallace, people forget Mike Wallace was considered the better receiver entering year like three even of their careers, and both were in Pittsburgh, Wallace and Brown, and they offered Wallace the deal they offered Brown, and Wallace said no, Mike Wallace, and Brown took it. So Brown actually got paid very early. Now, it's all relative, right, how much money. Who's to say? But what we know for sure is that, again, it's not about winning. It's not even about stats. It's not even about Instagram followers. It's like, is a person even going to play? And, oh, Brown didn't play in Week 17 in a must-win game. Mm. Now we segue to the NBA, and, oh, Another topic about someone not going to play, Anthony Davis. Fez, as we've had uh, a couple weeks, I guess, a little less, to let all this settle in, Lakers, Pelicans, Fire GM, How? what do you see as the aftermath? We're going to look ahead to the Lakers' second half of the year in a moment. 
What do you see as the aftermath? Well, I think it hurt both teams, the Lakers and New Orleans. Look at New Orleans' chemistry. The last eight games that Anthony Davis has played the entire game, the team has done great when he actually hasn't played. They're 5-0 and against the spread. Well, I'm confused. Yeah. <laughs> when, when New Orleans plays without Anthony Davis, since so, he's trade so, demands. So he doesn't play one minute of the game. Doesn't play one minute of the game. New Orleans is a perfect 5-0 and against the spread. When Anthony Davis plays the entire game. So when you say the entire game, you mean 48 minutes? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, Well, he went out at halftime in one of the games. He got injured. So now what you're saying isn't true. He had three games that he played the entire game. He didn't play all 48 minutes, but he played the entire game. They're 0-3 against the spread. Brad, if (laughs) if I said explain what he said... I'll give you 50-50. Like, is there even a 50% chance that you, a professional handicapper, has any idea what he said? I have an idea, but only because we've discussed this multiple times before. (laughs) And he still can't get it out straight. So since this talk emerged, January 28th, this this story broke about Anthony Davis wants out of New Orleans, preferred to go to the Lakers. In the five games, Anthony Davis hasn't played a majority of the game. Four. Now, what's a majority? So now one we're game at, he, now, so now at a majority, it's 24 minutes? Forget about it. There's just one game he played a half. The other four, he didn't play at all. How's, how's, this, how's this sound? Well, this will be a great yeah. lesson for everyone. Don't try to explain yeah. anything. Give. I'm going to write down exactly what happened. Tell me what happened, and I'll tell you the way to explain it. All right. And all right. The, Anthony Davis misses the game. All right, so how many games did he miss? Five. Five, he didn't play any, any at all. Correct. So minutes equals zero. Yes. And in those games? New Orleans is 5-0 and oh against the spread. Okay, go ahead. Three games Anthony Davis was supposed to play, and he played. I don't care about what's supposed to. How much did he play? He played all uh, four quarters. All right. All, so now we're making a distinction between is it all four quarters or a certain number of minutes or what? He played. Right, but what is the threshold of playing? He played the first half and the second half. Okay. So he played both halves. Yes. A portion of both halves. Correct. All right, go ahead. New Orleans is 0-3 against the spread when that happened. All right. And what's the other scenario? There's one other game where Anthony Davis played, but he went out hurt in the second quarter. Okay, so he only played the first half. Yes. And what's his? what was the result? It turns out New Orleans... Won and covered the first half and the second half. I don't care game. about the first half. What happened in the game? New Orleans covered, and they won. Okay. So what we're saying here, see, the reason that you guys are so convoluted with this, Brad included, yeah. is you're trying to make something fit that doesn't really fit. So what we're saying is this, is when he doesn't play, they're 5-0 and what, against the spread. When he plays... They're one and three. The idea that somehow him playing in the first half makes it where, oh, well, of course he covered because he didn't play in the second half. That's assuming he's a net negative on the court. No, no, no. This is about the expectations of him playing and what the market value is coming in, right? If you could get, if the line was set for the next Pelicans game, assuming Anthony Davis doesn't play. And you find out he's going to play, and the line doesn't move. You've got 30 seconds to bet it. You're making a gigantic bet on the Pelican. Yes. See, you were trying to act like that wasn't the case. That's why it was convoluted. Got it. 
You, do you see that? I see the distinction because obviously Anthony Davis is worth five points in the betting marketplace in terms of how um, so when the line he, when he's played and, it, and was expected to play, they're one and three, and when he wasn't expected to play, and thus the market adjusted for his absence, five and zero. Oh. Correct. Okay, guys. See now you know what I have to deal with. <laughs> if you ever hear me get a little frustrated, just think of this. <laughs> All right. So what does that mean to the Pelicans? That means that in a way he's poison for the Pelicans, Davis. Yes. He is Anthony Davis is clearly no longer worth what the marketplace thinks he is worth because of the team reaction to him being on the court. Okay. I, I tend to agree with that. Now, we're in the middle of the Pelicans want to sit him. And to me, that what I thought the, the goofiest take was, was the idea that somehow the Pelicans and their fire GM now, in hindsight, got over on magic. <laughs> it was like, I'll give you a million. The shovel, you know, it's like, I think we were joking about this on SOV. It's like, uh, you want your nine-year-old boy to shovel the snow. I'll give you five bucks. Nope. <laughs> give you $20. Nope. Give you 10000 Nope. Oh boy, he he got you, Faz. <laughs> I mean, it's like it's like I'm not saying the Lakers. I don't know enough to know. You know, should it be eight players, seven players? How many draft choices? But it seems like it was the Godfather offer. And now the question it would have had to be: How is Anthony Davis going to react if we don't trade him? Because what's come to pass is if your goal now is to sit him and put him up on the shelf like the Mona Lisa behind plexiglass, then you're losing a whole half a season or, you know, last year you're losing the rest of the season of your number one asset you're getting nothing for. And he's a depreciating asset. Why? Because he now is being traded, if he gets traded this summer, with one year left on his deal instead of one and a half. Exactly right. And not to mention, how about your fan base? How are they going to react to all this clear mismanagement? Um, Fan loyalty has got to have taken a hit in New Orleans. So literally, the whole discussion is, we pay these guys tens of millions of dollars, and will they play or not? And it's not even... Like back in the day with the, what was it, the reserve clause, it was called in baseball where there wasn't free agency and then Kurt Flood. I'm no expert on that stuff, but if you read uh, highly recommended, old school, a book called Ball Four by Jim Bouton, B-O-U-T-O-N, I think. And he was a knuckleball pitcher and played for the Seattle, not the Mariners. There was another Seattle team. I can't remember what the name was then. And he was one of the, and he played for the Yankees, played with Mickey Mantle earlier in his career. But he wrote a season long diary of his, of a being a baseball player. And he talked about greenies and, you know, the amphetamines and, and just everything. And it was just every day, it was like, hey, I didn't pitch today. The, you know, the pitching coach is a mofo. It was like this honest. So if you ever want a feel of baseball in the late 60s, ball four was great. But, to me, I get it. If you couldn't get traded, you couldn't get a fair amount of money. Again, pregame.com stats and information did some research. Mackey headed this one up, and we looked at Larry Bird, we looked at Magic, and we looked at 1985, probably the, the pinnacle yep. right there. And Magic 
was in the, uh, if I'm remembering correctly, in the $4 million range in today's dollars. And it might have been $5 million. Five, fast, yep. five million, and Bird was like four point two yep. in today's dollars, not right. not in nineteen eighty five dollars. And now we got Westbrook number one and two with Curry. Curry's one, and it was like thirty eight million and thirty five million. Think about that; it's seven times as much. Steph Curry's not better than Larry Bird, and this is again adjusted for inflation. The marketplace is embracing these athletes, the revenue being generated by this athletic competition is vast. And the idea that it's not enough to actually just play, I'm not saying there's not a history where players have been mistreated, you know, been treated unfairly. But this perpetual... And and listen, I love Colin, but uh, cowherd. But there is no sacred cow or cowherds on any of my shows. This obsession with I'm part of the proletariat. I'm I'm a union man. Yeah, okay. It's like for ninety nine percent of us, for ninety nine percent of us, we are billion. It's the billionaires against the hundred millionaires. Now I kind of get it. The billionaires got more money, but if, if if you're a guy that's sitting at home and you're a virgin, and 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 Fez, I'm not talking about you in particular in your high school years, but let's just say you, if you're sitting at home, Fez, and you're mad at uh, who was the two best looking guys in your, who was the guys that pulled the most in, in your school? Hmm. Just first names, Mark. Doug. Well, he, so you, you could tell he hates the Mark and Doug. Yeah. Now, what were your feelings about Mark? I, explain Mark. No, Mark was just like the football. He was a great guy. He was like the. Oh, he was a great guy? He was, he was the quarterback. He was, he was always, you know, just good at everything. He, and how did you guys have a relationship? We were on the same baseball team back in Little League. So, <laughs> but but like, if you were walking down the hall, would he say hello, Mister? Oh, oh yeah, we went like we went to see Rocky Three together with one of his buddies. So you, the 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 cap, were the uh, quarterback of the football team, and one of his buddies went to see Rocky Three. Yeah. Did they lose a bet or something? I think his buddy did. <laughs> I mean, that seems. How many people were in your grad? Kids were in your graduating class? Oh, like 160. Still, Brad, if you were to guess, is Fezzik going to see Rocky three with the quarterback? No way. You know, I got it. It wasn't one of those group things where 20 people went. Three, three people. That's I got yeah. Mark's father, Leo Leo Krebs, was my baseball coach in little league. And a finer man, I don't ever remember. I mean, he was a he he was like the best coach one, a guy could ever have. Him and Bayard Leash, I was spoiled rotten at ten years old. You know, when I let you, you, ever notice, you ever notice when I let Fez talk for more than twenty seconds, he starts boring people. <laughs> like, who? What does your great coaches have to do with anything? Never mind. All right, so back to the thing. So you knew this fellow, this Mark fellow. And he was okay with you. He was a great guy. Yeah. All right. And who was the other fellow? Oh, Doug Granzo. <laughs> He's not afraid He's to say the, yeah. the names. Jeez. Hey, whatever. All right. Like, so first name. what did you think of Doug? <laughs> um, Doug G. We'll call. Yeah. Doug was, 
he's a good guy. He was our running back in, at our high school, and he was kind of wild. He once choked out a kid in sixth grade. He was. The, did that scare? Did you think like would you ever like have conflicts with him and think about that? I would avoid all conflict. And think, of, <laughs> think about what he did to poor Kenny O in like sixth grade. I thought he was going to kill Kenny O in the playground. His whole face turned purple. <laughs> Nobody gives you power. Real power is something you take. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So <laughs> they were scoring. They were pulling. You were home. Playing Dungeons and Dragons. No, I was out at the chess clubs. And no, 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 you weren't. How many freaking ch- chess clubs are going to act like there were? <laughs> Come on. Every right. Friday night. Now, here's the question. If one of them was pulling 20 girls in a month and the other was pulling 15, you didn't hate the 20 any more than you hated the 15. They all passed the threshold of they got, I ain't got. And I ain't liking people that got when I ain't got. I'm embarrassed to say I just didn't get that kind of feelings. I didn't really think about that. So, so I did. <laughs> I mean, wait a minute. You're saying you're home feeling physically rejected, emotionally rejected, all these hormones raging, and, and these guys are out there literally probably having twofers. Like, hey, I'll see you from f- 5 to 7.30, but I got to go visit my sick mom. And then they're going over to the other girl's house at 8. And you're sitting there with a smile on your face saying, more power to them. I, now, maybe I should have been having all these emotions, but for whatever reason, back in high school, that I didn't. Oh, that's why maybe the rage boiled up later. Possibly. <laughs> Brad, explain that what a normal person would feel. <laughs> Normal pe- person would have a lot of rage. Uh, <laughs> it'd be, you know, no, I wouldn't say 100% rage. I mean, there's a good 25, 30% of feeling sorry for yourself, little tear rolling down your eye. Uh, yeah, a lot of those weekend nights in high school. But, Yo, homeboy, welcome to the hood, brother. <laughs> All right, so some honesty from Brad Powers. Now, in a way, the players are the ones scoring 15 in a month, and the NFL owners are the ones scoring 20 in a month. But I can promise you, they all got more money than any of us. Whatever success we have, a lot more, right? Hundreds of millions. So this idea that that it's relative and we should all all defend the player, when has an owner ever reneged on a deal? Like, imagine if an owner said, hey, we signed a contract, you know, guaranteed contract. I mean, I, I'm not thinking of a great example right now, but, you know, baseball obviously guaranteed is some – they sign a guy and literally they pay – I mean, look at the Bobby Bonilla deal, right? <laughs> yeah. They're still paying Bonilla, right? Yeah. If, if the Mets said, you know, enough's enough, <laughs> we're done, what would happen? There'd be a a, a lawsuit and they'd lose summary judgment. So the owners have to always abide by their word, by their agreement. And the players now, we've gotten to the point where literally there's two freaking years left on a deal. And they're not abiding by theirs. And 90% of talk radio is siding with the players. I get it. If someone's being oppressed, if someone's being treated unfairly, side with the oppressed party. 
these players are not being treated unfairly. Agree. Soon enough, we're going to have best bets coming up. Esler, two of them. Brad, one. All three of those picks, future CBB, nice jumbo payouts. Fez in the AAF, Machado. Let's wrap up the NBA, though, Fez. Lakers, a lot of talk always about the Lakers. You've got a strong take, and there's uh, been floating around at different outlets. Yes, no, will the Lakers make the playoffs? Yeah, current odds, the yes is an underdog. Yes, Lakers make the playoffs plus 105. No, Lakers miss the playoffs minus $1.25. I got to tell you, RJ, it is rare that I get a marketplace so wrong, and I did with the Lakers. I thought the Lakers should be a huge underdog to make the playoffs. I think. So what, was your, what would your number be? I would have made the Lakers minus 230 to no, to not make the playoffs. Okay. So now when you have this big of a difference, is it like gimme, 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 and you're making about as big as a bet as your bankroll in Kelly criteria and money management can handle? Or do you say, huh, what am I missing? At first, it was gimme, gimme, gimme when the number came out. And I said, ah, the odds makers put out a horrible number here. I just got to go ahead and buy up a whole lot of Lakers not to make the playoffs. However, I expected that number would be moving like crazy. And it did initially move. It opened up pick 'em minus 110 in each direction. And it went all the way to no minus $1.40 Lakers not to make the playoffs. And now it's actually come back a little bit. Now I'm getting worried. Am I missing something? There's some people betting the opposite of what I'm betting, and that always has a, a, me concerned. So by definition, if you're betting against an opener, you're saying I am disagree with the odds makers enough to lay VIG. But then if you, it, with the market, you're saying when it disagrees with you, you respect the market a lot more. But what is the true market in this case? What are the limits on these bets? Well, the limits are $1,000. So that seems to me that you're not getting any syndicate involved, right? You're getting the, you know, duct tape on the shoe guys and the guys with the new shoes, but they're betting dimes and two dimes. And then you're also getting a lot of drunk guys that own 7-Elevens in New Jersey betting. So it strikes me that this would be a market where the fact that there was buyback was was just the same reason the odds makers put the number up to start with, build in Lakers bias. That's a great point because you know Hayseed is going to like the fact that the Lakers always make the playoffs. He's Haystack. Hayseed's pejorative. He's Haystack. <laughs> Haystack is going to love the Lakers to make the playoffs. Hey, LeBron's made the playoffs the last 12 years. He's just going to go in dad mode and run over everybody, right, Brad? Brad? <laughs> Brad's going to have to step up. <laughs> Well, actually, I didn't expect this. But luckily, here he comes, jam box in hand. Looks like he's put on a few pounds. <laughs> Hasn't shaved. Oh, there's an odor. Haystack? Lakers, yes, no. Oh, cool. LeBron going to make playoffs? Are you kidding me? A guy been to the finals eight consecutive years, and he just got to make the playoffs? Man, Lakers a shoe and make playoffs. Shoe and Fez, you wrong on this one. Lakers. Hey, Stag might have just woken up from a nap <laughs> or something. <laughs> now, I do think, let's repeat this point because I think it's a good one. 
who is the market? Because I always say the betting market is like a voting booth, except the more you bet, the more votes you get. But if a normal guy's willing to bet a nickel, because hey, he now I mean, forget a guy owns Jersey, Seven uh, Elevens, or gas stations. Literally, a guy that's making fifty five k as an insurance salesman. If he's got a strong in L.A., if he's got a strong feeling about the Lakers, but him betting a nickel isn't going to be a big deal, right? Because he gets to show sure. the ticket around. So all of a sudden now, almost everyone, this is almost a pure democracy. Almost every bet, your bet, other sharps' bets, and the L.A. and don't forget the geographic proximity. Is this online anywhere? It is. Is it skewed uh, away from the Lakers online? No, comparable lines. Okay. But I tell you, if, if, if there's a play, I mean, I'll be honest with you. If there's a place taking dimes only and you love something and because the line doesn't go exactly in the direction you want it to, that scares you. It feels like you've fallen off some precipice where you're, where you're just scared. I mean, at what point you got to, it's one thing if you're betting against some $600,000 move 20 minutes before a game on my, on Sunday NFL sides, this is a thousand bucks. You're right. As soon as we get done, I'm going over and betting <laughs> more on Lakers, no playoffs, minus $1.25. And you still think the current odds are? More like 30% the Lakers should make the playoffs. I got to be honest with you. I really wonder... If LeBron wants to make the playoffs. Because if he does, he's more than likely going to be the eighth seed up against Golden State. And it's also not even that. I hear that. I think if anything, that might motivate him too. Because if he could just somehow pull off that upset, right? what would the line be on that? The Lakers, who were the fourth seed in the play uh, before LeBron got hurt, that team, let's assume if they make the playoffs, they're going to be playing comparable to that. What, Golden State with home court, what's what's the series price? Golden State minus 1,400. Okay. So what we're saying is, uh, you know, when you vig it, take out the vig, about a 10% chance that LeBron wins. Yeah. So pick a number one through 10, right? And if it does not save his season? Oh, my gosh. that would No matter what else has. Save his oh, yeah. season, that helps solidify his legacy as the greatest yes. ever. First of all, he has no legacy as the greatest Fair ever. enough. Enough of that. So, I mean, come on. Michael versus, uh, come on. If the aliens were coming, who in the world would pick LeBron first? I misspoke. No, but your Collins is on the same thing. Now, I'll tell you this. If you have a, a, a crappy team and you want to make them like a top five team, LeBron might be like going from 25 to five. LeBron might be the best ever. But to win titles, because Michael wouldn't put up with five. You know, Michael's going to be punching people, <laughs> his own teammates. Yeah. <laughs> so, but I think that part of LeBron is thinking, what's the point of any of this? Meaning, I'm not going to make the finals. That streak's over. If I make the playoffs and lose and get embarrassed, it's almost more of an indictment. It's almost like if they do so bad, like everyone knows LeBron is that good. Like that's interesting. Imagine 
that I'm a really good golfer. Like, let's say just a couple years before I was almost a scratch golfer and 10 years before I was on the Nike tour for one summer. So it's just like borderline professional. It's been 10 years, right? So really good. And there's three other guys. One guy's never golfed before and he's my partner. And the other two are like 10 handicaps, right? Something. So I'm by far the best and I've got the worst. If I come back and they say, yep, RJ lost by one, whew, you're thinking, man, RJ played pretty well, but you're thinking that, you know, RJ couldn't pull it, pull it through. Like, you're thinking it's me. If we come back and it's like, oh, RJ and the loser got beat by 20 strokes, <laughs> you're thinking that guy must have been horrible, <laughs> right? You know, I'm not horrible. Look, in this hypothetical, LeBron is not horrible. If they miss the playoffs, in a way, it almost mitigates any blame. It's like, look, look what was around me. You, I take these kind of teams to the finals. They're not, they're not even that good. We were twenty and fourteen on Christmas Day when we beat Golden State. Then I went out. Yeah, you just gotta wonder if now, if they get hot and win six in a row, they're gonna keep going. I'm saying that typically for a team that's on fifty fifty or so to make the playoffs. There's going to be a time where it looks like there's 70% to make it between now and the end of the year, and a time there's a 30% chance to make it, right? There's going to be an ebb and a flow. I think that this is the type of team, if they reach that 30, doing that that ebb, that that maybe they give up. Yeah, if they ever hit 20, they're going to go to zero real fast. And 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 if so, I think any of these calculations might be off because it's not accounting for that. Do you, do you agree? I agree because a team like Sacramento, which is still in the hunt for that number eight seed, is never going to give up because they would love their rookies to make the playoffs. And maybe that's a succinct way to say it. There's scenarios where the Lakers might give up on the season, whereas if they didn't, they could still make the playoffs. Yes. And I don't think that's built into this number. You're listening to R.J. Bell's Dream Preview. Now back to R.J. Bell's Dream Preview. Okay, guys, NBA, anything else? Fez, let's go real quick. You had a couple of teams... You thought maybe play on, play off. Let's go through those quick. Yeah, so let's go to an under-the-radar team to bet on. Orlando, 27-32. and 32. I doubt anyone has, unless the NBA aficionados, would, would have been following at all. But Orlando is playing great basketball. And I got to tell you, RJ, I wish I could give you all the reasons why. I can tell you they're 7-1 straight up, 7-1 against the spread. Their only loss was on a late foul when they fouled down eight and they didn't cover plus nine and a half. This Orlando team is a team that the wise guys love right now. The wise guys seemingly bet this team every time they play, and I have taken notice of this. This is a team I want to bet on the rest of the year. Well, I I think it's always dangerous to say this. As they're currently playing, as the market's currently assessing them, they're a play-on team. That may or may not continue. Yeah, that's a much better way to say that selectively I want to play on Orlando going forward. And 
I'm a big believer in this. Sometimes you don't know. And again, when I don't know, I bet less. But if the marketplace is telling us the big batters, the ones moving the numbers in concert, steaming, if they're saying there's something about this team we like more than the rest of you all, that's something that's worth taking seriously. Uh, Dave Malinsky, um, rest in peace, uh, worked for Billy Walters for about 10 years, worked for us for years. And Malinsky used to talk about how they would still, with Billy, try to hide even who they were batting. The old story was 10 minutes to go in the game, they're not, the syndicates aren't afraid to show you who they like. 10 minutes to go before the game starts, they're not afraid to tell you. But he said Billy didn't even want to tell you that. So if you can see by the late market moves, now it could be matchup based, but if it's a team that's getting bat four out of five days, it's probably not about the opponent. It's about that team. Exactly. And think about this. This is a team that's five games below 500. They're seven and one their last eight games. Orlando. Orlando. And Orlando won one of those games by, by seven points. The other six wins by Orlando, RJ, were all by double digits. When do you ever see a 27 and 32 team performing at that high a level? God damn it. Who's they? Pronouns, <laughs> pal. The All magic. right. <laughs> now, you've got some tanking teams to avoid. Last NBA talk. Yeah, these are three teams that I will not be playing on. I'll be selectively looking to play against Phoenix, New York, and Cleveland. The reason being, these are the three worst teams in the NBA right now. Phoenix has 11 wins. New York has 11 wins. Cleveland has 12 wins. They're all competing for the worst record in the NBA since January 1st. They're against the spread records. Phoenix, 7-13. and 13. New York, 9-12. and 12. Cleveland, 7-14. and 14. They all want to get the worst record in the NBA because even though the bottom three teams in the NBA all have a 14% chance to get the number one selection in the draft, if you finish the worst, you get guaranteed a top five pick. If you're the second worst, you're guaranteed a top six pick. Third worst is only guaranteed a top seven pick. And because of that, Phoenix... So who's fourth? I mean, is there any competition between third and fourth? No, the, four, you know, the fourth team is a good three games in front of all these teams. And so it would be very, very difficult for any of these three teams to win enough I'm games. I'm confused by that. How many games are left in the season? 26. I think 26. And a three-game lead is somehow like, oh, my gosh, the, I can't even calculate the math. I'm not even sure these teams are going to be able to win three games the rest of the year, and Atlanta's going to win some more games. Now, here's another pro tip, and I think this is important. I'm not looking to bet against these teams' ATS because let's think of the scenario. is A team is an 11-point dog. Two minutes left, they're down by 12. How hard is the quote-unquote tanking team playing? They're playing as hard as they can. Why not? When aren't they playing hard? When they might win the game outright. So what I would do is look to play the tanking against the tanking teams when they're a small, either favorite somehow. I guess they might. I guess it, what happens if it's tanking against tanking? You, you tell me. I think you play the over, but I'm really not sure. <laughs> well, that's an interesting point, right? Um, but if it's not tanking against tanking, you could have a tanking team at home against a D tier team or Memphis, whatever. some yeah. And then that Memphis might be favored by what three, four, five points. Right. I think playing Memphis on the money line 
is the move because the tanking team, the time where they're really going to try not to play well, however they can accomplish that, is if it's close late. I think that's really strong. I agree with that. And another scenario is the tanking team gets well, up. Let's go with one at a time. Yes. Yeah, so if you have a competitive point spread that's close, you can go ahead and bet the money line for the tanking team to lose outright. Because that's when the truth of their tanking exerts itself. Yes. Right. Very strong. Maybe another topic. Uh, maybe another topic, a situation where you get a middle-tier team, a little bit below average, like a Dallas, gets behind when they're playing Phoenix. Phoenix is up by eight at halftime. What's the second half spread? Dallas minus seven. <gasps> What's this? Phoenix is up by eight points, so we can go ahead and bet Dallas second half minus seven. If Dallas wins outright, we're going to go ahead and win our second half bet. Okay, so what you're saying is any time where there's a bet you can bet that this team won't win, the tanking team, however you can get at it mathematically, that's when you're going to see the team do shenanigans, whatever. Exactly right. And the poster child for this was last year. The Dallas Mavericks go ahead, went ahead and did a clinic on how to lose close games. They put out lineups, RJ, at the end of the year that were comically bad, and they had a record in close games that I don't have it in front of me. It was just horrendous. Okay, actually, one bonus thing in the NBA. Brad, you did some analysis on ATS record at the break, and uh, kind of noteworthy. Well, I don't know if it was deep dive analysis, but just the best teams at the All-Star break, if you're just blindly betting on these teams against the number in every game, the Bucks, the Mavs, the Kings, the Thunder come out on top. All smart, smaller market teams not necessarily paying a premium. What I found most interesting, RJ, is the two worst teams against the spread at the All-Star break. In the NBA, the Golden State Warriors dead last, 24-32-1 and one against the number, Next up, the Lakers, 24-31-2 for the season. The two most public teams are the two worst teams against the number. Imagine the phrase, think about it, the spread is the great equalizer. You have a team right now, Golden State, what are they, 240 to win the title? Minus 240, yes. That's as big of a spread or big of a favorite as you've ever seen, ever in the modern year, 1980 beyond, at this point in the season. The only other team's in the range, or other versions of this Golden State team. And if you bet them every game, you had lost the most money. Yep. Spread is the great equalizer. And then obviously the second tenant is public teams, teams with big names on them, Lakers. I mean, this is like a, not a master class. This is a kind of handicapping 101 what not to do. You don't you bet against the best team, you bet on the worst team. It feels counterintuitive, you don't do it blind, and you bet on the unpopular teams and against the popular teams. I've been saying that since Moses was in short pants. <laughs> As Junior would say, soprano. Okay. Let's talk a little Machado, then we'll get to CBB. I've got a couple interesting takes on this. One, and some credit to Jonas Knox, who does our announcing on our Straight Out of Vegas show. We need a professional to announce, and he does a wonderful job. I, I was thinking, boy, man, he just cares about the money, man. You got to wonder if, like, a AAA team had offered him an extra 10 bucks if he would have went. 
And then he made an interesting point. He said, well, you know, maybe critique Manny Machado, but give credit to the Padres. The Padres are spending money. And as a Pirates fan, literally a boycotting Pirates fan. I have a good friend of mine, Matt. I won't say his last name first. And I uh, lives in Columbus, Ohio, football coach, high school football coach, loves football, loves all sports. And Matt is a Pirates fan through and through. And I told him, you're why we haven't won a World Series since 79. You. He's like, why me? I'm like, because when they don't spend the money, you're still watching the games, giving them the mm. TV ratings. You're still buying the bats when you go to the game. And they're thinking, hey, what's the consequence? Fez, imagine if for Valentine's Day you didn't miss out on great numbers. Imagine you just said, hey, you know, I got a hankering to go do some. uh, I'm going to go read down to the UNLV library in the rare book section something about how to throw dice without them tumbling enough. I heard there's a good book down there. I'll see you in a couple days. I'm going to stay at the Hard Rock. If you did that and your wife said, Love you, hon. Now, you'd be like, huh, I guess I can do whatever I want. The Pirates can do whatever they want, and people are still going to root for them. Not me. (laughs) Not me. I'm a one-man boycott. This team's not spending money. And I'll tell you right now, the Padres are spending money. I I didn't see that angle. I think it's a good angle. Another thing. Where was Brad Powers wrong on this one? Whew. So my thought was one to thirty. What is the chance of the Padres winning a World Series in the next ten years? Meaning, uh, if you were just picking teams based on who would win the most World Series, where would you draft the Padres? Brad said strongly on national radio, two hundred. Plus stations, iHeartRadio app, Sirius, XM, podcast. I mean, whew. your response was? Late 20s. Late 20s. Now, I asked you, Fez, and your answer was? 15. 15. Right in the middle. Right in the middle. We ended up having on Mark Willard, who spent a long time, Fox Sports Radio alum, spent a long time. In San Diego, just moved up to San Francisco. He said he put them in the top four or five. He says this is the best farm system in baseball. And like the Houston Astros, like some stuff we've seen with other teams, we're going to see an emergence of real talent. And Machado being the anchor, boy, oh boy, maybe they've got something. So I'm not saying for sure that's the case, but it is interesting the different angles on it. Now, <laughs> what? Still, the, the record is zero. Zero World Series titles for the Padres. Haven't had a winning season in 10 years. I'll believe it when I see it. Yeah, and they're just never going to have the payroll to be a top 10 team like the Cubs and the Dodgers and even the Angels and, and the like. So putting them in the top 10 is a, is a leap of faith. Yeah, but I mean, at what point do we start? And I'm no, listen, I'm no baseball expert, but where's Houston on the payroll list? 
I don't have those numbers. They're up there now. They weren't when they originally made their run. Yeah, so they won the World Series not high. Um, Kansas City wasn't high. I mean, what I'm saying is I think baseball, for whatever reason, the, the that maybe because of these guaranteed contracts, maybe, you know, like that's an interesting debate. What is the last monster contract that, that even 66, two-thirds of the way through the baseball contract, the team was happy with it. Mm. Can't recall. So in a weird way, having all this money might have a disadvantage to it. Not a disadvantage, but the advantage mm. is mitigated because they end up spending a bunch of money on a guy that in year seven, he's not even starting, but you're paying him you know, $28 million. Just like in Moneyball where they the A's wind up with a player that the Yankees are still paying half of his salary. Yeah, but that was written in like 2002, you know, right? Well, that's like and the like last 16. movie I saw. So. <laughs> <laughs> what is the last movie you saw? I just saw Glass. How was it? I would say it's good. I would recommend it. There it is. Oh, how great would that be? Fez movie, right? Well, we've oh. already committed that he's going to have a monthly... Movie, watch, uh, you know, assignment. Okay. Another thing is, and, and Ric Flair used to use this phrase, box office, right? And the question with Machado is, is he box office? Is he somebody that, yeah, he might help you win, but does he, does he bring in the crowds? And it strikes me that home run hitting typically is what brings in the crowds, and maybe he's not as box office as a Bryce Harper type. Agree. Harper would bring in more. Machado's good for 30, 35 home runs. And the adjustment in this season now, so the upcoming baseball season in win total, Brad, for the Padres. Yeah, it's only gone up about two and a half from about 76 and a half wins to now 79 a day later. So I think long term, maybe some optimism, but again, predicted, projected the Padres to be below 500 once again, continuing the streak since 2010. And I think a below-the-radar value betting perspective, let's look at that division because, remember, everyone in the division now has to play the Padres 18 times, and maybe the Padres only improve by three games, but it's possible they improve by significantly more. I think looking at the Giants, Arizona— Yeah, but it's possible they could— uh, get worse by significantly more. So we've got a market number. You bow at the altar of the market. Let's assume that's the right number. Well, yes, but if the number right number had been 76, it's certainly possible that the Padres, without Machado, could have completely become a seller late in the year and only won like 60 games. Okay, so what you're saying is, and this is a great point, this adjustment had built in the original number, some percentage chance of getting Machado. Yes. If they didn't sign Machado, the line would have went down for the Padres. Yes. And that's always something to remember, right? And the best example of this, it sounds kind of technical, but if you want to do it, go back to the basic finance school textbooks. They're online and read about how there's arbitrages with mergers. If a merger is going to happen and, and the current price on the stock is 50 and the merger price where they're going to be acquired is 60, there's a 10-point spread. The question is, what is the likelihood of the merger happening? Regulation, pull out, whatever. If it's 50%, 
the stocks can be priced at 55. If the merger goes through, it goes to 60. People might say, oh, that means that that company's worth $5, you know, because it went up five. No, it means it was worth $10, but $5 was already built in because there was a 50% chance at the time it was going to happen. So whatever, whenever you look at future odds, ask yourselves, what is the assumption of these future odds? That's why there's another reason I don't like the Lakers to make the playoffs. Because every freaking odds we've seen on the Lakers pre-trading deadline had built into it the chance they're going to make some kind of blockbuster Mm -hmm. deal. And the minute that they can't do that when the deadline passed means that you got to downgrade that team significantly. Makes sense, right? Agreed. Yeah. Almost worth another Roy. (laughs) I appreciate it. Last thing. Fez, you said you saw uh, Moneyball in 2002. Ironically, in 2002, the Mets, the New York Mets, a team in New York City, when we do this segment in New York City, it's uh, only an exhibition. It's not a competition, so no wagering there in New York City. But, of course, here in Las Vegas. In New York City, the Mets were purchased in 2002 for $391 million. Wow. Hmm. Sounds like a steal. <laughs> Machado is getting paid $330 million. <laughs> So literally, since Fezzik last saw a movie, I mean, since Fezzik saw Moneyball, you could have bought the Mets pretty much for the cost to sign Machado. I mean, you want to talk about how sports is booming. Wowza. Okay, guys, we're hitting the home stretch. Going to be best bets, best bets, best bets, and best bets coming up first. One and only commercial break. What you wear, what you put into your body is made to help you look, feel, and perform your best. Shouldn't what you put on your skin every day do the same? At artofsport.com, they've developed better for your products that perform better. Art of Sport has combined innovation and the best science with guidance of world-class athletes to take skin care to the next level. Go to artofsport.com today and order your trial kit. And boy, it's a special promo code RJDream. All one word, RJDream. That's at Art of Sport. That's not plural. So it's S-P-O-R-T, Art of Sport, and get half off any bundle kit you choose, but you get half off any of them. Plus free shipping on orders of $35 or more. What's in a trial kit? Deodorant, hair and body wash, body bar, and free sunscreen. Listen, cancer, it's not funny. Skin cancer's no joke. But all joking aside, think about it. If you feel better, you're more confident. You're more confident with people being close. And that can be advantageous in many different forms. We all deserve to give our skin what it needs to smell, look, and feel its best. Treat your skin with respect at artofsport.com. Use promo code RJDREAM. And remember, that helps us, guys. This is one of those deals. I get it. If someone says, buy a car or something, help RJ, help the dream preview. Well, you're not going to buy a car. 
unless it's right for you. But if someone says you get half off something that you might want, give it a try because if you want it, you've gained. And worst case, you help us a little bit for not much risk or expense. So the promo code RJ Dream, the URL artofsport.com, the deal, 50% off any bundle kit, plus free shipping on orders of $35 or more. True car, old buddies of ours, 60 seconds. That's exactly how long this commercial lasts. You know what else you can do in about a minute? Get an offer for your car with True Car. That's right. And about the time it takes to floss your teeth, pet your dog, do a few sit-ups, check seven scores to see if you covered or not, you can get a true cash offer. Best of all, you can do it from your smartphone or your home. Just go to True Car and simply enter your license plate number. Then watch your car's details pop up, answer a few questions, and you'll get an accurate True Cash offer from a local True Car certified dealer. It's that easy. After that, you can bring your car in. They'll check it out with you together. You can ask questions and get the answers you need so there's no surprises. Then simply leave with your check in your pocket or trade in your car for a new ride. So when you're ready to experience a better way to sell or trade in your car, check out True Car today. All right, baby, here we go. College basketball time. I'm a believer. You know, we always talk mechanical parlays are better than future bets. I'm a believer if you shop. And this is one of those times where if everyone in the world's at 50 to 1, I'm not as anxious. But, Brad, you shop pretty hard in these futures. It's not that unusual that you can get a 70 to 1 somewhere and then a majority of places it's like 40 to 1. Oh, yeah, all the time. So, to me, if you're like Fezzik, you know, bowing at the altar of the market, just by definition, you got to feel like you're getting something. Now, you got to like the team. You got to remember the vig in in these uh, future pools is gigantic, sometimes like eight times as much as uh, the regular minus 110, you know, 20 cent straddle. But I'm a believer that. Future odds make more sense in college basketball because if you have a true, and I'm talking, let me be specific, with true long shots, 100 to 1, 200 to 1, or 100 to 1 range. Why? Because the only way they have a real chance is if you end up getting upsets in the bracket. So now all of a sudden the 11s having to play the 10 or whatever, and if you actually would do the mechanical parlay, it, it, you're not going to get the value. Now, there was a team that had the none last year. I forget. Loyola. Loyola. And people got them actually just to make the final four seventy-five to 1, and they're an 11 seed. That was really good value. Because what happened was the way that you make the final four is a couple of upsets ahead of you. Yep. So I, I think that college basketball, in the rare cases where you're getting a good number based upon the market, you're in that long shot range. And also, this is another caveat. And in this you can't do until probably selection Sunday, so you have to wait. And Brad, maybe you can tell me how you handle this. Anytime I'm playing a jumbo, I'm not looking for them to win is the only way to earn. 
I'm looking for them to win a couple of games, three games, and start to earn yep. hedging out. Absolutely. I think you can start earning after, you know, depending on how long it is, but certainly after three wins. If they make the Elite Eight, you can start earning. And, but you know, based on, you know, how big the payoff is, yep. it could be earlier, it could be yep. later. But it strikes me if you have an eight or nine seed, boy, that's hard. Yep. So in a weird way, I'd rather have an 11 seed than an eight or nine seed because the chance of them winning X number enough games to start earning goes up. Yep. And there's been a certain, uh, you know, you do a great job of research, you know, how often certain seeds have made the final four. And a lot of times I think the sweet spot was like a six seed. A lot of time was more prone to making the final four than, you know, even sometimes a four and a five seed. Again, because of the way the brackets yep. are set. Danny Mann in Kansas. <laughs> back, come back to 87, 88. Yeah. Oh, you knew that year. Danny and the it. Miracles. That's when I graduated high school. Oh, okay. And uh, my best buddy, George, was uh, going to Kansas State on a football scholarship. and But then it ended up uh, that he went to Kansas after and got to know Danny Manning very well. So it was kind of a, a game that... I didn't realize at the time, but was uh, quite important. Manning could play, buddy, in high in college. <laughs> he can't coach. Ugh. Really? Yeah, he's a Wake Forest coach. He's awful. I think the market grades him as the worst coach in Division One. Wow, because uh, under South he was highly regarded. Yeah. See, have and again when you have the pedigree at the school, you know. All right, so Dave Esler, Uncle Dave, he's deadly, deadly to the bookie. But what I do have are a very particular set of skills. Skills I've acquired over a very long career. Skills that make me a nightmare for people like you. Essler's been winning and winning and winning for seven, eight years at pregame. Two future bets. Brett, I'm going to let you decide where to start. One, you know, I'd have to tell you. We're starting with this one. College basketball future, and I know it's time to start looking at who's going to win the dance, and anybody can give you Duke and Gonzaga and even Virginia. But I want to look at Michigan. Depending on where you look, they're 8.5 to 1. Some places they're even 10 to 1. One thing I love about this team, experience. they got four starters this season that were on last year's team that went all the way to the championship game and lost to Villanova, a game they avenged at Nova by 27 points this year. they got the number one defense in the number one conference, and they're second in the nation at protecting the ball. The bottom line there is they're not beating themselves, and that's the type of team I want my money on. They'll frustrate quicker teams with that really slow style, as they did against the Tar Heels by 17 earlier in the season, and slower teams just don't do what Michigan does as well as Michigan does it. One thing I really like about Michigan, you get into those back-to-back or even Thursday-Friday things, teams that play really up-tempo can get really tired in 24 or 48 hours, and that's not going to happen in Michigan. I think Michigan has an inside presence they didn't have last year, and at 10-1, to 1, again, all they got to do is get into the Elite Eight or the Final Four, and you got yourself in great position. Okay, what do you agree with the most, Brad? What do you disagree with the most? Well, I, I will say one thing that I agree with. I think Michigan offers some value, kind of uh, derivative Michigan State, there's two good teams in the Big Ten. It's Michigan and Michigan State. Michigan State just had a key injury. So right now, I think the door is open for Michigan to win the Big Ten and possibly be a one or two seed. What I don't like is I just don't like the value. I mean, to put in perspective, on straight out of Vegas last year, we were doing that the Saturday night show. 
Michigan won the Big Ten Championship Tournament, and me and Fez that day got Michigan 40-1 to to win the title. I just think you're better off waiting, and maybe if Michigan struggles a little bit, you can get a juicier number. Yeah, but under you can always say that about anything, right? Is I'm going to bet this team now, but if somehow they lost two in a row, I'd get better odds. But what happens if they win five in a row? Mm. Right? I mean, what what is it about now? What does last year have anything? Do you think well, there's some reason? Now, the only way this would make some sense is if they had two tough, let's say they played a back-to-back you know, on short rest, tough road games out west, you're saying, hey, the, the, the schedule's tough for them. Maybe they're going to overcome it. Odds are they aren't. But even if they don't, I still like them. But other than looking ahead in the near future and, and having a real reason to think the market's not accounting for what's likely to happen in the next couple of games – doesn't what you just said cut in both directions? It, all it does cut in both directions, but I'll say this. I think Michigan will win 10 straight games, RJ, and you could still find 10 to 1. What do you think? Yeah, I agree with Brad. I don't I don't like the value of 10 to 1, and here's why. Even if Michigan makes the Elite Eight, and I start betting them then, they're probably going to be a pick em and a pick em, but if they have to play Duke, they're going to be like plus 250. So if I take that 100, it becomes 200, it becomes 400, and then I get that plus 250 against Duke, and now I'm getting 15 to 1. And that's not even risking anything until they make the Elite Eight. And I do think it's worth the following. In a weird way, except for the very specific cases of the future odds that we just talked about, the big, big payoffs, and we already said it, probably mechanical parlays are better. So we're doing a podcast, right? To, to imagine how fun the podcast would be. <laughs> someone said, what future, uh, what future bets you like? I do not bet future odds. Um, <laughs> I mean, so to some degree, let's say Esler is saying, if you're betting futures, which mm. a lot of people do, it's almost like if you're going to eat fried food, fried zucchini is the best. You know, I don't know if that's true, but let's say health-wise, and better than fried deep-fried Twinkies on a stick. I know that much. But the fact of the matter is, Michigan's a team that Esler's more optimistic than the market is. Would you agree with that, Brad? Yep. Okay. Now, this is a great time to segue into a, a, a true saga that's gone down on straight out of Vegas. <laughs> And it was great because it was organic. The first question posed, what's Duke's odds and how many teams would you have to take to say one guy gets Duke, the other guy gets the bundle? Brad, you said, give me Duke. <laughs> Fez, you said, I need three teams. Need three. Brad said, fine. I don't give a care. Make the case on why you like Duke against any three teams. Well, right now, Duke already is being priced as a historically good team, the second-best team in the last 10 years in college basketball from a future aspect. Here's where I think the market, yeah, it might be a little pricey right now, but Duke, their best players, four of them are freshmen. They continue to ascend. They're getting better each and every game. Duke, you know, when it's all said and done, come March, we might be thinking, hey, forget second best team in the last 10 years. This might be historically by far the best team we've seen in college basketball last 20, 30 years. 
And if that's the case, give me Duke versus any three teams. Fez, name your three teams, one sentence on each. Gonzaga, they already beat Duke this year. <laughs> Kentucky, they're playing as well as any team right now in the nation. And Tennessee, uh, really good athletes can compete and beat Duke on the right given day. Okay. Now, you disagreed. So you guys made the bet on straight out of Vegas. How much was the bet for? 500 Okay. Now, do you guys want to up that bet? Or are you both comfortable? If I said, let's do it together. If you want to up it to 1000 Raise your hand. I'm going to go one, two, three. And on three, <laughs> on three, raise your hand. It's not three, then raise your hand. Raise your hand on three. One, two, three. Neither guy <laughs> raised their hands. I was acting like I was going. That's to. weird. <laughs> that is weird. You think somebody thought they got the best of it? I think it's close. Okay. Now, part two of the saga. Uh-oh. Brad, you would have had three different teams if you would have been bundling. It would have been? Yeah, it would have been Gonzaga, Kentucky, but instead of Tennessee, give me Virginia. Okay. So now it really comes down to who has a better chance to win the title or who's going to last longer, Virginia or Tennessee. And me being a bet maker, <laughs> like a matchmaker, we got a bet going there. Now, how much did we bet on straight out of Vegas? 300. Now, the question is, do we want to double that? So what we're going to do is I'm going to say one, two, or three. One, two, then three. On three, if both hands go up, it doubles. If not, if one hand goes up, the other one's a puss. If neither does, then I don't know. So here we go. One, two, three. Fez's hand goes up. Holy yeah. freaking camoli. Brad, you were acting all haughty. You were like, Tennessee. Ooh. <laughs> but then Fez goes up and you don't. That's more Virginia. Well, <laughs> obviously. Call well, call me square, but Virginia's really never made the final four. So, Then why didn't you agree that Tennessee should have made it? I'm not, I don't like Tennessee. I think Virginia has a better chance to beat Duke. But I think that Virginia also has a better chance to get bounced before even making the Sweet 16. Remember, because, this is the last longer. Right, because they play to totals of like the one, 120. So think about that. With Boy, a smaller, the sam- next level here. smaller sample size. This is strong. Size. This is strong. So, so you were saying if, it was, if one of them wins the title, you cash. Otherwise, it's a push. You wouldn't like Tennessee. I wouldn't like it nearly as much as the last longer. Correct. I think Tennessee's safe to make the Sweet 16 and a better has a better chance to make the Elite Eight. I'm the dirtiest player in the game. Fez, I, I'm impressed by that. i got to be honest. That's not dirty. That's just good analysis. Well, that's the point. You're thinking at d- deeper levels, deeper levels. Brad, that got to scare you a little bit. No, nah, not really. Because, I mean, if there's one team that's going to be focused to avoid an upset this year in the tournament, it'd be Virginia, the team that became the first ever one seed to lose to a 16. There's one team that's going to be super tight, knowing they need wins desperately to not be made fun of. It's also Virginia. Now, all that was a prelude. I sat back, kind of like Brad sometimes, hear the little rattler, hear the, hear the tail rattle. Fez was on one of his uh, days off. No one's judging. Soon it's going to be like Johnny Carson in the later days. I tell you folks, it's hard.
But listen, rock gardens are fun for some. So Brad and I, I had them in my sights, and we started thinking, well, wait a minute. So we put the poll up, Duke or any three, at RJ in Vegas. We're going to do a lot of these polls that are kind of related to the shows. 69% said they take the three. Less than 30% said, I guess 31% said they would want Duke. So there you go. But then I'm thinking, wait a minute. Someone on Twitter said, what about everybody else? So Brad and I went back and forth. And he said, well, he said, I think Duke has a 40% chance to win it. I think my three, now his three, as we said, include Virginia, Gonzaga, and Kentucky. He loves Kentucky. He goes, I think that's 40%. And I think everyone else is 20. So I'm thinking, huh, opportunity knocks. So the bet I offered was, well, 80% is four to one. We're no vig here. So I'll bet you 250 to win a thousand. You get your four teams, and I get the rest. Michigan, by the way, is on there. <laughs> you like Mac, you like that part? Is like any team that's discussed except those four, I'll get to say that for weeks. Yes, I do. Early on the SOV, I wasn't ready when you said it, and it was excellent. <laughs> Okay, so Brad, let's offer the same deal. Is if we want to double it, what we'll do is count to three, and anyone that wants to double it can raise their hand. Fez, you call it. All right, so you do the one, two, three. One, two, three. Brad Powers not putting your hands up, <laughs> second-guessing his risk management on this one. Fez, how much would you like a piece of this one? Oh, bad. <laughs> Maybe but, we could do a swap or something after I get Brad on another bet. What, what happened, Brad? Uh, it's just a ma- I made a bad bet. The, the, the true odds are more like two to one. Think about Brad's pricing on all this with his percentages. What he's saying we're talking about you know, a- maybe we shouldn't pick on him because I'll give him credit. I'm the one with three bets here. Exactly. Fair enough. And that's Fair what I'm saying. I took like to me, I yeah. appreciate he's willing to a make great prices point, back. RJ. Brad, you've done a great job. We need to continue to do that. Exactly. exactly. You're like the guy at the poker table. Right. He, I think he might be right. I'm not even sure he's wrong. You know, I got to go back and look at my numbers. I think Brad. <laughs> I think it's, it's just a good gamble. You're right, RJ. And RJ, we trust you. What's up, money. throwing him, baby? There we go. Let's get it. Tuition paid. His face. His face is fuming. No. (laughs) All right. So we've got one more best bet from Esler, then a best bet from Brad, then a best bet from Fez. What a way to finish the show. College basketball futures and some of the higher priced ones I know that Brad will elaborate on that they don't have to win cash to make money. Louisville at 75 to 1 fits that bill for me. And first of all, coaching, it's Chris Mack. Coaching has so much more of an impact in these tournament games. And he's been there. He took Xavier there eight of nine years. This is a team that beat North Carolina on the road and beat Virginia Tech on the road. 
So they beat a quick team and they beat a slow team. And I love teams that are not one-dimensional and can win any number of ways. One thing I love about this team, 77% from the line. Junior, senior, backcourt with Cunningham and McMahon, length with Williams and Enochs, and John Nora is usually going to be the best player on the court. And lastly, and I'm sure this will get talked about a fair bit, teams with a top 20 offensive efficiency, top 20 defensive efficiency, I think you'll find going back about 15 years, the ultimate winner fit that bill every single year. And that's Louisville this year. I like Louisville at 75 to 1. They get into the Elite Eight or even the Final Four, you're in great shape. Well, do you agree or do you disagree? I agree with – I really like Chris Mack, who's in, in the new head coach there. I, I thought when Louisville went out to try to replace Rick Pitino, what's the best they could have done? They did absolutely the best they could have done getting Chris Mack from Xavier. But what I'm seeing from Louisville right now, and I get more hindsight than Dave because he sent in his stuff prior to today, tonight's game, Louisville right now looks like a team running out of gas. They just lost – here on Wednesday night by 20 to Syracuse. It was a game that was close to pick them. And I'm seeing at least in the last couple games, the wise guys have been betting against Louisville. I would say at least for the time being, uh, I'm kind of on the sell mode on Louisville. And I have major concerns about their end game, RJ. We saw them against Duke when they were 99% to win, up 25, and they lose outright. And then the very next game, they're playing Clemson. They're up seven with like 40 seconds to play. Again, like a 97% chance to win. 35 seconds later, Clemson shooting to win that game. Louisville almost blew two straight games that they had a 98% chance to win each game. All right, guys, I'm a man of fidelity. Don't know about the future, that's anybody's guess. Ain't no good reason for getting all depressed. Buy up your pad and pencil, I give you a piece of my mind. Brad Powers, give us one of your, or your best future bet. Yeah, right now, best value bet for me is Washington, 100 to 1. So a juicy ticket here. With I'm rooting for them. Are you? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice. You got me. Any way you slice it, I got to add here. I'll make my case for Washington. This is a team that's been red hot. Please do. 12-1 and one, their last 13 games. Uh, and it's a team that I think is getting priced right now. If you read the Bracketology 7-8 seed, here's what I'm looking at. Their next seven games, Washington going to be easily favored in all their seven. So this is a team that most likely, if they play up the expectations on the Vegas line, go 6-1, and 7-0 down the stretch, and they won't be Washington, a 7 or 8 seed. They'll play themselves more like into a 4 seed for Washington. And most importantly for me, we talked just talked about Syracuse. Washington runs the same zone defense that Syracuse does. Syracuse is a very high-variance team, not so good in the regular season because teams have seen it year after year after year. But once the tournament hits and it's teams going up against that zone defense, they don't see at all during the season. They're not used to it. And a lot of times Washington and Syracuse uh, can overachieve greatly come tournament time. Give me Washington 100-1. to how many of his four teams could be in the same bracket, Faz? Yeah, it's a great point. Not many. I just picked all one and two seeds. I don't know. Mm. I don't know. Well, Washington's going to be out west. No, no, no. But what I'm saying is of his four. Oh, no. Gonzaga. There'll be a number one seed out west. Duke will be the number one seed. The south, east will be Virginia. And then Kentucky will probably be the team that'll be a two seed in one of those brackets. Mm-hmm. All right, Fezzy Wezzy. <laughs> AAF. 
It's your new favorite sport. <laughs> Go. AAF, we're going to San Diego. The Fleet, not Van Vliet. The Fleet, <laughs> minus two and a half, hosting San Antonio. I've got these two teams pretty darn equal, RJ. So I think there's a little bit of value with San Diego just from a pure power ratings. But where the real value is, I don't recall this ever happening in a league before. These two teams just played each other. Week one, San Antonio beat San Diego 15-6 to six week one. And you know I love that quick turnaround revenge angle in virtually every sport in football. I love it even more. San Diego has an inherent advantage because they just lost by nine points to this team two weeks ago. So what should happen? San Antonio will say, hey, this game plan worked. We beat San Diego week one. We'll do the same thing. And San Diego and Mike Martz will make the adjustments necessary like San Diego minus two and a half. Okay, and when's that game go? That game goes Sunday, RJ. And uh, what do you like it at three? Yeah, it's good at minus three. I would not lay three and a half, but minus three is fine. So how how valuable is is three uh, the most valuable number in the AEF? It's <laughs> a great question. I believe so, but it's not worth nearly as much in the NFL because in the overtime rules, you're not allowed to kick field goals. Each team gets a possession in the red zone, and they're not allowed to kick a field goal. So, uh, stats and research. Pregame.com. I love that. The interesting. Week one, we looked at the totals, and the average total of the four games was fit. And remember, all four or eight teams played in the prior two weeks and this week. So, it's the same eight teams every week. There hasn't been any huge like quarterback injuries, right? No. Okay. 50 and a half was the average total. And it went one over, three under week one. Total dropped four points exactly to 46 and a half. One and three to the under. Week three upcoming, total drops almost four points from 46 and a half to 42.75. It's a little less. And here we are. So we're eight points or so, Fez, from the openers like 15 days before. Now, if you look at the average on the season, average on the season is about 39 points scored. So 42.75 now, 39 scored. Obviously, there was a misassessment of the amount of scoring that would happen. The totals on the under are two and six, two to the over, six to the under. What do you think in total-wise in a macro sense? In a macro sense, I think if the overall average, right around 39, is correct, and I believe that it is because of the poor quarterback play in this league, any individual game, more likely the total should be 38 to 38.5. So I still think there's value looking to play selective unders. Now the counterpoint, Brad, is this feels almost like preseason week one mm. to two to three where the, the the rhythm and such that you're going to see the offense improve faster than the defense. Yeah, that'd be my concern, Fez. The quarterbacks are getting more you know, in rhythm with the, the wide receivers and whatnot, and maybe we'll see the quarterback play step up a little bit. I Personally, I would tread more lightly, but we'll see. Yeah, it's a great point, and this does happen in the NFL as well, where week three tends to be a little bit higher scoring than weeks one and weeks two. Fez, just from the your network of professionals and all that, and that's one of your strongest suits is people want Fezzik's information, so trades and 
Oftentimes there's trades with people that I introduce you to that I don't even know you're trading. <laughs> I mean, you're making money. Somehow I'm, you know, in the dark, just the kind of like the, I don't know, almost the innocent that's getting taken advantage of. Um, <laughs> what's your sense of betting on the AAF? I think there's really good opportunity out there, RJ. There's so much going on. Let me give an example with just with just one team this week, Orlando. Orlando is in Florida, and apparently there's a rule, an insurance rule, that they have to spend 50% or more of their time outside of Florida to get insurance. So this Orlando team is currently residing in hotels in Jacksonville and busing to Georgia. They have to practice in Georgia this week, even though they have a home game in Orlando. If only we hadn't played only in dreams when he said Orlando's in Florida, I mean, (laughs) we would have been able to hit that. (laughs) All right. Last thing. Last week, went at Darren Ravello. It didn't go at him, but trying to explain some stuff. I really well responded to. Thank you. In the interim, I had a, you know, one of the things we did last week, we played a clip from a fellow his, his last name's Peterson, and he's a younger guy. I didn't know him, and that doesn't mean anything. Again, I try to consume a lot of content, but I had yet to run across the fellow. And I heard him on the radio, and he said something that was, you know, a misuse of a word, and it was fun. He said, I watch games sacrilegiously. Um, when you hear touts, pick sellers, and again, I had no idea about, you know, tout can be a pejorative term. Picks out, some people like selling picks. They think, oh, they got something of value. They should, right? Other people are like, pick sellers are bad. So all kind of different ways. When I hear a handicapper on the radio might be the better way to say it. And then I hear him or her, but usually him, say something that feels a little goofy. I tend to jump to conclusions. Like, oh, here's another goofy handicapper. Would I... See, now in hindsight was two things. One, I could have had fun with it, but I said, uh, oh, here's our competition. And to me, if it truly was legitimately ignorance or not being very well informed, I have no problem being dismissive or derisive of our competition. It's part of business. Coffee's for closers only. But... I think to do that unfairly would be the worst possible thing. And what I've found as I've looked a little bit into this was one is this Peterson fellow had a number of people on Twitter really like, hey, you were unfair to him. Now, Twitter's not known for coming to the defense of people. So right off, it made me think, okay, this guy's trying to do some good work. Looked a little deeper and saw, you know, he is a worker. I have no idea his winning percentages. I have no idea of anything other than the fact that this fellow seems to be trying really hard and seems to put a lot of work in and seems to have a lot of knowledge. Knowledge doesn't always translate to winners. You know, I know handicappers that have deep, deep knowledge. And some handicappers, you talk to them, they sound like they don't know anything and they win. So... What I can speak to here is this Peterson fellow actually responded to me being, I think, out of line, 
in hindsight with a, in a reasonable way. So I'm going to give him credit for that. Number two, I DM'd him. I apologized, and he was very gracious. But I told him, hey, I owe it to say it here on the pod too. Now, there's one last 30, 40-second macro point. I've never really gone after anybody because I've always been the target. I mean, people just have been, it's been 10 years, you know, the Tim Donahue thing, there's a new story out. I'm going to take the week, read it, digest it, make some calls, and I'll probably talk at length about this new Donahue reporting. And for those that don't know, really my first national attention came from original reporting that I did on the Tim Donahue scandal, got me on, uh, it was by far the most press I ever got. I was on SportsCenter, first time ever on TV, or I guess it was the second time. I had been on CNBC with Darren Ravel, by the way, like 11 years ago. And it was, uh, you know, literally CBS this morning, Good Morning America. It was crazy because it was the big story and I had some truly original stuff. I want to make sure I get this right, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read about it and talk about it, uh, read a few times and think about it and talk about it next week. But what I need to be especially careful of is now that I'm shifting gears, and I guess the point I was making is after I got all that attention, it didn't necessarily lead to a bunch of money. It didn't really lead to much of anything. I mean, press is really overrated in many ways. Now, if you do enough that then you finally get a segment with Colin Cowherd at noon, you know, for years and years, and then you're always Stephen A. Smith, and yeah, it builds to something. But, you know, if a new handicapper literally got like five big pieces of press, like two Sports Center appearances and, you know, whatever pick the next three things in the scheme of things it, it's almost meaningless people don't realize that you just got to do it for 10 years and keep getting and then all of a sudden you're you're just known and once you're known you've won right and luckily at least in the sports world especially the sports gambling world i've achieved that but all that stuff at the beginning probably didn't mean much at all other than it helped me build some relationships the irony is the producer of Mike and Mike at the time was Scott Shapiro 10, 11 years ago. And Scott Shapiro is now the head of Fox Sports Radio who gave us straight out of Vegas. So, yeah, you build your relationships. It works over a decade plus. But it, all the things that made other handicappers envious and made me a target really didn't mean much at the time. But I was always getting attacked. So to me, it was like, wow, if I'm getting attacked and then I attack back – it's just going to be nothing but attacking and I'm not going to be learning anything. I'm not going to be innovating, reading, building, whatever I'm trying to do, helping, providing value. So I, I again, defy people to, on my Twitter specifically to go through and say, other than the Revell situation, when have I ever drawn first blood? Covey leader to identify Baker T. Rambo. Mesner, Ortega, Coletta, Jorgensen, Danforth, Barry, Krakauer. Confirmed. I'd say never. And now I've counterpunched viciously. <laughs> but that's for deterrence. 
But what happened was I went at Ravel, and then lo and behold, it got easy to kind of go after somebody else. And again, it wasn't vindictive. It was snarky. But again, I hate snarky. I, I don't mind snarky amongst friends. I hate snarky with outsiders. And so here's what I've learned from this. I am going to go at people aggressively, fairly, not personally, but aggressively when they are attempting to invalidate expertise. We talked about it last week. I won't reiterate it again. If you want to say numbers don't matter, winning, uh, you know, I just want to cash tickets, whatever, right? It's dangerous. If you're ignorant, you're going to lose. If you don't do the work, you're going to lose. You might lose anyway, but you're surely going to lose the other way. And to me, what I see is there's not many experts out there that both can communicate well and they know their stuff. There's a lot of, listen, there's a lot of Twitter accounts with like 180 followers that are super sharp. They don't want to give much away. So you got to really read between the lines and I try to, but, and then there's a bunch of people that's got, you know, a Darren Ravel with 2 million followers. Who's not sharp. Ravel's great at some things. He's not a great handicapper. He wouldn't even say he was. So there's not many guys that can broadcast, that can write, that also are sharp. So what's going to happen? Those guys are going to have a lot of success. The other guys, especially the broadcasters without the expertise, they're going to invalidate the expertise. That's going to be their goal. I can't let that happen. That For a business sense, but also for my life's work, which is trying to help and educate the sports betting community, not educate to win. Yeah, you heard me right. This isn't some easy way to win. It's to win more. And not many people will say that it's hard to win. You're probably not going to be able to quit your job. You can listen to everything I say. You can listen to everything Fezzik says, Brad says, everything everybody says, and you're probably not going to be able to quit your job. Because the skills it takes to be a professional handicapper are twofold. One, it's discipline. And two, it's intelligence. And three, it's work ethic, which is kind of different than discipline. To have all three, Fez, how many guys do you know that's got two of the three? Yeah, a whole, a whole bunch of two out of three, and almost no one has all three. And, and, and it's hard, right? But if I can take, if what we can do is take someone that lost a lot and help them lose a little, that means that there's less money in the bookies' pockets and more money in betters' pockets. And if we take someone that was losing a little to break even, just think about it. We want to move you along that chart one or two notches. That literally is the value proposition of what we do. And it genuinely is the meaning of my work life. May, is that as good as curing cancer? No. But I wasn't born into an environment where I had the chance to cure cancer. I was born in a coal mine in town. The only thing I could do when I was 14 was uh, that was interesting was bet on spot sheets, getting 10 to 1, and uh, ties lose, and uh, minus 1 each way. That's what I came <laughs> up in. True story. And the fact of the matter is, that's when bookies, those are cockroaches, became who I didn't like, and I want to beat them. 
And every day, you know, we were doing a calculation. How much money do you think I cost the bookies when I tweeted out the inside information on the national anthem? And the friend who actually gave it to me asked, he goes, I wonder how much. And there's no way to know. But we did a little calculation real quick off the top of our head. And with the number sign, you can see this uh, on your own Twitter account, is the tweet was seen by 230,000 people. So if 10% of the people bet it, and I'm not sure that number's right, but if 10% of the people bet it for an average of $20, that means that we won collectively $460,000. Now, maybe it's 5%. So then it would be 230,000. But I feel very confident that even with the most conservative estimate, my one tweet, I might have been in my underwear, my one tweet, one net for the bookies or for the betters over 100,000. And it's a zero sum game loss for the bookies. I love that. Right. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to be very careful not to be snarky, but. I'm going to be very aggressive pointing out when I think people are trying to invalidate expertise because expertise is the only way that I think you can improve your chance of doing better, not even winning, just winning more. All right, boys, I thought this was a great show. Brad killed it. Fez killed it. Mackie was all right. (laughs) But otherwise, Sleepy was sick, which is rare. But, guys, you can see off-seasons are going to be awesome. Remember, Brad Powers, it's heating up. It's heating up. Brad Powers and A.J. Hoffman. It's every Monday. It's every Friday released. And, oh, by the way, guys, we are at 99%. I don't think I should announce exactly where yet, but let me announce this. It's Thursday night, so the day after the first tournament day. And Friday night, the plan is 10 o'clock, 10 p. So the games are over. We're going to do a live 90-minute podcast, 300 people seating. Okay, I'll tell you. It's at the Hard Rock Cafe. So it's the Hard Rock Cafe. This is now 99%. I think tickets are going on sale soon. There's going to be some VIP meet and greet. Imagine. Maybe we'll have a raffle to tug on Fezzik's hair. But to see if it's true or to pour some like something in it, see that all the dye washing out. I mean, oh, my gosh, that would be. But it's going to be, I think, like 20 or 30 of those. And I think those are kind of expensive, like 50 or 60 bucks. And then it's like a 20 or 25 dollar ticket, 300 people. But here's the key. We're going to be answering questions like for more than half the pod. A.J. Hoffman's planning to come in. Steve Cofield locally. He's a big guy's plan to be there. It's going to be like a round table of round tables live. And if you're going to be in Vegas, we'll have all the info on my Twitter feed. But with only 300, I'm guessing it's going to sell out pretty quick. Let's hope. But if you're, th- if you were thinking of coming to Vegas, maybe it pushes you over. And Oh, by the way, same thing Friday night. There's two shows Thursday night, Friday night, 10 P doing about 90 minutes talking about what happened and handicapping the next day live be worth checking out. Also 
everything else we got in the podcast feed. Talk to you then. Thanks for listening to RJ Bell's Dream Preview. Catch the Wise Guy Roundtable each week. College football released on Wednesday, NFL on Thursday. Don't miss any winners. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Visit podcastone.com and download the Podcast One app. Have a question for RJ? You can contact him directly on Twitter at RJ in Vegas. Live the dream with us each week.